hi everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of SmithCast. We are honored today to have Shelly Warren with us. She just gave a speech to the Women in Leadership and the Entrepreneurship and Innovation Club. Uh, and now we've stolen her away for a few minutes to chat more about her, uh, her experience with P&G. Uh, she worked there for 25 years leading technical teams. Uh, and now she owns, well, she owned her own business, uh, sold it, and now is part of the executive team at BizChicks. Uh, so we are really excited to have you here, Shelley. Thanks for joining us. I am so thrilled to be back in Kingston and super thrilled to be here with you guys at Smith School Business. Great. And I, uh, we also have Shakur here. Colleen is out uh, watching her sister graduate, but it's just Shakur uh, today. And we're, uh, we'll get right into asking Shelly some questions, some tough-hitting questions. I'm ready for it. <laughs> Great. Well, before we start, just yeah. can you just confirm that how can I serve you today? So what is there a particular messaging that you want? Is there a concept you want to touch on? Or how can sure. I make sure that you're happy with this interview? What can I do for you? I don't. We're we're pretty easy to please. So, uh, but I think for us, the the teamwork aspect of, mm-hmm. of what you've been doing would be great, um, and how you see people from a business school perspective transferring their skills into the workplace. Okay. And then I also think the hiring, firing, and inspiring mm-hmm. aspect of things is really important because. That's what we want when we're out of here. We want jobs, but we also yeah. want to be able to build teams. Mm-hmm. So I think those those are kind of the themes I'm thinking of. I don't know if Chicago Yeah, no, I, I think those are great themes. The only thing I would add to that is that, you know, they, we are in the MBA program and mm-hmm. Queen's mm-hmm. Um, houses and entrepreneurship and business venturing program as well. There are a few people in the class, me, myself included, who are kind of like, you know, um, starting their own business and she already owns one so it's like touching on that but I feel like if you can talk because you work like you Mm -hmm. have a you have experience from at such a big corporate brand what is like entrepreneurship looks like because you can start brands in PNG like Mm -hmm. you were talking about you don't advocate for yourself Mm -hmm. you have this idea and you have shown consistent results so it's almost like you know starting something from not 100% scratch but kind of scratch because you just go out build a team and then go for it. So, yes, uh, entrepreneurship is a it's it can really help you stay motivated. Yeah. Within your career because it's new and exciting and yeah. startup related and that's why I that's why I stayed there as long as I did. Yeah. Like I was always able to switch careers every yeah. two and three years at a time. Not sort of helter skelter. They all were strategically, there was, oh, I really want to go learn about this piece of the business. Yeah. Oh, I really want to learn about this piece of business. And then everywhere you go, you're just bringing your experience with you. But it certainly makes out for a more plentiful and more, like that whole idea of variety of work. Yeah. Versus staying at one company in one desk, serving one particular aspect of the business. Yeah. Sure. Which some people do, and it's wonderful. But that just wasn't yeah. how it's at. That kind of made me think of one thing. Um, so last week we were all in Toronto, mm-hmm. and a lot of us went to rotational program um, yeah. information sessions. So yeah. what do you think of rotational programs? Do you, are you familiar with them, or do you have a... Well, describe to me what's a rotational program. Sure. So I went to a lot of the um, the ones that went uh, were bank-related. So it's mm-hmm. either a banking finance aspect of it or even the HR strategy aspect of it. So you go in, and it's usually a two-year program, that consists of four rotations and you get to pick your rotation so you are doing mm-hmm. kind of an entrepreneurship um, 
rotation through each bank, and you're learning, meeting a lot of people, learning a lot of different parts about the bank, and you really are starting with like gr- a ground up foundation. So is is that something that um, I don't know if you have any experience with rotational programs or what you think of them? Well, I guess that's kind of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that Procter Gamble definitely offers that. I, they don't brand it as that, or they don't label it as that. But if people want to create a breadth of experience within a particular organization, that is the way to do it. Because I don't think anybody really wants to be a one-trick pony. No. Right? Everybody wants to be able to come in and, and know a lot about this and a lot about this so that when key decisions are being made, you have more insight. You know the backstory. You understand the history of where this particular, what was the evolution of this particular product or what was the evolution of this particular customer. How did this all start? How did this relationship begin? And then you're showing up and adding more value because you have more insight because you have this breadth of knowledge. As well, it just offers a variety of work. Yeah. And it's exciting. And if you're looking to become in the C-suite for an organization, including running your own business, if you if your desire is to be the CEO of your own business, the more experience you have with understanding the different components and different aspects of building your business, the more equipped you're going to be as that leader wearing that CEO hat. So understanding shipping, understanding warehousing, understanding package development, understanding marketing, understanding the technology itself. Because as we all know, the technology changes on a dime. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the technology is actually transferable. So a little bit of backstory with Procter & Gamble, the technology that the company uses to create diapers is very similar to the technology that's used for feminine protection and bladder protection. You wouldn't think that, but yeah. that's very true. So which one did they get? Which one did they start? Was it chicken <laughs> or the eggs? Diapers, actually. <laughs> diapers, yes. Yeah. So it's really about understanding the customer's needs within those specific situations. Like what is the big problem that you're trying to solve for that client? And then understanding, hey, I have this technology. It's got multi-purposes. How could I use it to solve a big problem over here and a big problem over here and a big problem over here? It could mean it's going to impact the formula that you have, or it could mean packaging is going to be different or marketing is going to be different or raw materials, may, you know, recipes maybe have to be tweaked periodically. Mm. But essentially, if you have this amazing technology, we need to be looking at how do we scale it. And we can often scale it by just looking at solving other big problems in other big marketplaces or different customer bases. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, when you handled, uh, that is like problem solving, I feel like as an entrepreneur starting out a business is absolutely crucial to figure out the actual, like, what are we trying to solve here? And then start with those customers out. In an established brand like Procter & Gamble, when you you would launch a new product or a new brand even, how would you go about, like, can you just quickly walk us through of, okay, here's, here's how we define the problem, and here's how we went out and kind of um, understood the, the breadth of this problem and how, how important was it and the different ways you approached in solving that as with a new brand or new product? Well, P&G itself has a platform that they use for all problem solving. It's called Integrated Work Systems, IWS. Okay. It stems from 
a wide variety of problem-solving tools that are out there in the marketplace and have been out there for many years, but P&G has definitely put their stamp on the IWS methodology. And so the first thing that you start with is understanding, is this really a problem? Because sometimes we go running down a path thinking that we're here to save the world and solve a problem when it's not really a problem Mm. for the customer. It might be an issue in production or in shipping, but if it's not affecting the customer, let's look internally and look to see what gaps and inefficiencies we have here and let's throw our intention here versus thinking that this is a problem that's impacting our customers. And the only way you can understand that is to ask them, to truly put the time into asking them, do they? Are you delighted every time you go to use this product? Every time, that's what you want. Because the minute they're not delighted, they're gonna look on the shelf and pick something else. So I think oftentimes we think we have to have this whole dashboard, you know, that's just tracking all these problems that we're solving and all these spectacular KPIs that we're measuring at all times. And in reality, you could be spending a ton of effort out there solving problems that are not client-based or consumer-based issues. They're internal issues. And if they're internal, it's definitely worth time putting some effort towards it to close down those gaps. But let's, let's be smart about it in terms of do we need to concentrate on this right now? Is this a priority right now? If we look at, you know, if there's five different internal problems, let's look at the one that's making the most impact to our workforce or it's hitting the bottom line or it's really become a cost issue or it's a raw materials issue. And then asking your workforce, what are you tolerating? What is your biggest pet peeve out here right now? And let the end user tell you where the priority is. That's that's really interesting because when I hear that, I al- I'm also hearing that you're talking to your customers and you can also figure out some internal problems along the way. And that brings me to the point of... Um, having that kind of a team that is able to recognize that, that this is the, re- the response that we are getting is pointing to this, is shining light on something other, other than what we are actually with the aim of we approach the customer with, but that is so valuable. So did, did you experience that? Can you talk, talk well, about Well, there's that? lots of times where it became evident that the people closest to the work are the people that really should have the most say in what's the next piece of work that we're going to work on. Because they're the ones that are tolerating every day. Those are the ones that are seeing so quickly how to solve a problem, yet no one's providing the funding for it. Or no one's listening to them. Or no one's working with them to get the production time rearranged so that they have downtime on the production line to be able to go in and do some testing. So understanding that your team knows way more about what's going on than you do by design that's what you hired them for right you as their leader you do not have to have the answer to everything you do not have to be the smartest person in the room you've hired in the smarts you've gone out there you've attracted this top talent you've brought them in now let them go do what they're brilliant at and it would, do you find, so as, as young, as like, you know, we're going to enter the workforce, do you, do you find that there's a learning curve in, in achieving that kind of a mindset? Well, yes, because I think a lot of it comes with 
when you become a leader who's self-assured and you understand your own purpose and you understand the position you play in your business or within your organization, you don't have to be the one out there seeking validation, right? You're not out there looking for the, the cheerleaders. You're not, you're not out there looking for all the accolades. It really becomes more about the cause, not the applause. But all of us are on a journey of evolution in terms of our own self-development. And when we get to that point where we understand that our position is to work together, and it's really about how every single person that comes on a team can really play to their own strengths and get paid for their brilliance, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that, right? If you've got somebody that has a, an unbelievable expertise area or their, their contribution is just outstanding, you need to be able to reward that. But you as the leader need to be confident enough in your own capabilities to be able to continue to shine the light on your team and offer up more opportunities for your team to continue to do that because your team then are going to become the next leaders or they currently are leaders. And so you just want to perpetuate that type of culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the talk that you just gave us uh, to some of the MBA class, you mentioned servant leadership mm-hmm. and that really resonated with me. I, I, I don't know if I'd ever really put a label on it before. And so I'm wondering where you learned that that's the type of leader that you wanted to be or already were. I learned it at P&G. And I, first I used to kind of beat myself up about my leadership style. Like I didn't think I was tough enough or mm-hmm. aggressive. And I also, I also felt that I had to constantly be competing against my peers. And then it dawned on me one day through just feedback that I was receiving from people that were on my team that they appreciated my style. And so then what ended up happening was people were asking to work with me. And when it's just like when people ask to buy your product, it's the same light bulb goes off. <laughs> and you start and you think, wait a minute, let's look at this a little, a little deeper. And so I understood that I, had a, I have an issue with titles and hierarchy. Not in the sense that I don't respect respect it, because I certainly do, mm-hmm. but I really, I find it distasteful when people say things like, I've got 60 people under me, or, you know, my direct reports are all making six-figure a year, where you're essentially boasting yourself on the amount of people who are in your charge. My philosophy is the more... I can serve up to the people that are looking up to me, the more, the better outcome we're going to have and the more people will want to work alongside me. So it's not only about, I'm not looking for people who want to work with me. I'm looking for people who want to work alongside me. And so it's that whole idea of a triangle. In most organizations, you know, the top person, the CEO is at the top of the triangle and that bottom foundation is usually new hires. <clears throat> and you come in as a new hire and you're constantly trying to climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. Well, I found out through my climbing of the ladder that I wasn't on the right ladder. <laughs> like I needed to be over onto a totally different ladder to be able to be congruent with who I was and what I felt my purpose was and what I wanted to do. So I had to find a way to hop over onto this other ladder. And then as I started to be more introduced to a wide variety of leadership styles and really started to look at 
the styles that resonated with me, the people that I looked up to, and what was different about them versus others, I started to realize that they also came from a point of wanting to, they, they came from a point where they wanted to give back and really create a really different and unique culture. So essentially, the triangle gets flipped upside down. So now you've got your triangle's upside down, you are on the bottom, and you're literally holding up those who you serve at every level. And understanding that those new hires that have just joined your organization, whether you're an entrepreneur and you've hired your first virtual assistant, or whether you work in an organization and you've just hired another 50 people, those new hires, you need to be holding them up high and understanding that you need to connect with them, you need to make sure that they're delighted, that their onboarding is smooth, that they're thrilled about the decision that they made to come and work with you. That's what you need to do. Not so much being the person at the top, looking down upon the people who are under you. In my mind, that's certain leadership. Yeah, and I, I can imagine, like, you know, even just uh, reflecting on a past experience, how much different of a dynamic that would be. I read this quote somewhere, you know, they always say, there's a diff- there's different style of leadership. You can either kiss up, kick down. Yes. Or kick mm-hmm. up, kiss down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I sort of find yeah. the similarities there because you are going to, if that inverted pyramid, you're going to completely change the relationship dynamic of an organization, of even an office for that matter. The other thing I was acutely aware of throughout my whole life, including right now, is that people who you meet and who you work alongside, at any moment, you could be reporting to them. Mm -hmm. So if you've not built a strong foundation early on and suddenly there's a change in the org chart Mm -hmm. and now you're reporting to them, that can really derail somebody whose ego is the size of Texas. Like You've got to be able to come in and realize, okay, on this particular project... He's taking the lead. I hired him, but he's taking the lead on this project, and isn't that amazing? This is exactly what we wanted for him when he came on. We saw the potential in him. We saw that he could really come in and add value, and now we're giving him the opportunity to do that. So now I am a leader in my own right, but as a leader, I also know where my place is to follow and let someone else lead. And isn't it an amazing work culture when that can happen? Yeah, totally. That, you know, like even here at in our program, we have, we so it's a team-based program and mm-hmm. we work, all work in, on teams of six to seven people. And um, one of the things that we do is, you know, we, I mean, we are all peers and we have the lead structure to our assignments and the casework that we do. And um, it has been a learning curve. We are all right. If someone takes the lead, then we let the lead lead. And that is so important, like you said. So, yeah. It's important, too, to just learn and witness different leadership styles. Yeah. Because at any moment, people are teaching us. They're either teaching us what not to do, <laughs> or they're teaching us what to do. Absolutely. Yeah. At any time. Absolutely. At any time. So when you let someone else come in and take on that leadership role, in many times, I've, I've been overwhelmed because I'm so thrilled for them. Mm-hmm. Because they were able to come in and take on that leadership role. And they're just doing so well with it. So it's really amazing to be able to see 
where you've poured into somebody or where the mentorship has been there or the opportunities that you've given them. And then now here's their chance for them to really take off and then step back and just give them the runway to let them do it because you know that they're going to reach back and they're going to bring someone else alongside them as well. And that's the kind of culture that I prefer to work in versus where leaders lead by position Mm-hmm. or lead by power. So yeah. sometimes we have people that are in a leadership role, but we don't really understand why they're in that leadership role. Like we haven't quite seen the evidence of why they were given that opportunity. And so that's when we really have to trust that the reason why they're there is because they have a particular expertise area that we do not have and that they're also here to teach us something. Mm-hmm. You can obviously tell that you're very passionate about leadership and Mm -hmm. and fostering teams and so um we haven't mentioned your biz chicks yet and so if you want to explain to the podcast listeners uh what uh how you transitioned from P&G to to what you're doing now sure so I was at P&G for 25 years mainly leading technical teams I had a wonderful career absolutely wonderful was given amazing opportunities worked with amazing people and totally loved my job until I didn't. And then when I didn't, I became submerged in wanting to find an exit strategy to be able to legal, leap over into entrepreneurialism. So I was working with a small brand here locally called She Can X. I was a volunteer for them, coming in as a workshop facilitator for them and helping the young woman that launched it, helping her grow. And then I bought it, and then I rebranded it, and then that became an opportunity for me to test the waters as to whether or not I was ready to be an entrepreneur. And once I started, essentially started as a side hustle. And the more I worked on it and, and poured back into it, there was evidence that I could really make money at this. So that's what gave me the confidence to be able to early retire out of corporate life and go in to launch my business full time. And then I ended up becoming part of a mastermind with BizChicks which was an amazing opportunity. There was eight women from all over the globe, Israel, Italy, Hawaii, Canada, Florida, all throughout the United States. It was an amazing opportunity. From there, I was asked um, to do a VIP day with the CEO, Natalie Ekdahl of BizChicks, who had launched her business through a podcast. So she launched her business through a podcast, which evolved then into strategy sessions, masterminds, and live events. I did a VIP day with her down in California, where we mapped out some of the things that I wanted to do in my business. And then months later, she asked me to come in as a speaker for her very first live event. And from there, it was an opportunity to come and join her executive leadership team as chief people officer. So the role I play with her is helping her build her community. I also host my own strategy sessions. Uh, I lead a number of mastermind groups as well. So is she. And essentially helping her stack her own team. So that led to my own podcast called Stacking Your Team, which is the sister podcast to the Biz Chicks podcast. So my expertise that I share with her, her community is helping CEOs create those that structure within their business to start to hire. Many people are ready to hire. 
they want to hire, they want to scale their business because there comes a point where you as a CEO in your business can't possibly still do everything. You're undermining your own success when you think that you can spend all your time doing $100 tasks when you really should be doing $10,000 tasks and managing your time more effectively to do business development. But what ends up happening is people are afraid to hire because they've convinced themselves that the marketplace is still unsteady, they don't have enough clients, they're not at six figures yet, they don't have 70,000 people following them on Instagram or more, or whatever these numbers that Mm -hmm. they put out there, they are roadblocks that are going to stop you from getting to your success. So I help those CEOs strategically look at what are they tolerating in their business right now, what is their strength zone, and then what are their priority hires. And it doesn't mean they need to go out and hire 15 people at once. It means who do we hire first, and then second, and then third, And what did the timing look like on that? Where do we find them? How do we track them? How do we get them in here? How do we make it an absolutely amazing workplace that they'll start serving up referrals Mm -hmm. so that it actually becomes easier to stack a team because they're coming forward with referrals. And then before you know it, you've scaled your business. That's that's wonderful. And I, I especially love the term stack the team. Um, that's that's awesome. It's really awesome because you know it's like build the team, grow the team, and they are all they convey the message that yeah we're growing. But I feel like you know it's like almost like you stack up to build that great foundation, mm-hmm. and that's what it is about. Because I think yeah for that one example like a referral from a current employee that you hired and has been you know has been performing really mm-hmm. well on the job, that is going to be much more valuable. I feel like than starting the process again and getting someone so yeah absolutely and you know if they're coming in on a referral then they're already invested in that new team member success so the amount of ownership is very high to make sure that that new team member is successful and especially in this day and age where there's so many virtual team members the world truly is your oyster you just need to be able to attract them have them find you be enticed by the opportunity and then have all of the processes in place so that you're kind of, you're onboarding them in such a way that truly gives them that first moment of truth where the role of posting really is coming to life. This I'm really doing the work that they said that was I was going to be doing in that role posting. I don't know about you, but how many times have you yeah. <laughs> taken a job and two weeks in thought, what? <laughs> This is not what I thought I was going to do. I've never been there. Never done. (laughs) So you want to be look. They're looking for all of those triggers of of evidence that I want to stay working with these people. I'm really enjoying this. I wanted to ask you one thing, which you mentioned earlier in your talk as well, which was, you know, the point about advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what your thoughts are generally on that, because. What does that mean in an organization and versus being an entrepreneur? And generally, how, you know, like you're providing value to an organization, you're producing great results. And then some people might think, and then you have to go and, you know, like kind of talk about myself. It's, you know, so what what, truly, what does it mean when you you say advocating for yourself? Well, let's start with this. No one is more 
interested in your own career and your own personal development than you are. So by trusting and hoping that somebody's going to notice you and serve up an opportunity to you, it's a fool's game. You really need to, whether you're in an organization or whether you're in the entrepreneurial world, you have to be rock solid on what you want to be known for. What is the reputation that you want? So what's the word out on the street about you? What are they saying about you in the coffee shop, in the lunchroom, at the networking meeting? What are they saying? Because that truly is your bread and butter. If you're known as a problem solver, if you're known as a people connector, if you're known as being the innovative product guy, find out what it is that you're known for. And if that resonates with you, then do more of that. Mm -hmm. And then that will help you have this trajectory, whether it's in your organization or out in the the entrepreneur world, for people to truly understand that this is what, what you want is become top of mind. And you want to become easy for me to connect you if I know what it is you're really great about and I know about an opportunity I can serve you up to the decision maker if I know what it is that you're really great at and I know what it is that you want so many people would be disappointed because they're overlooked for promotion or they're overlooked for an assignment and they would come to me and say I can't believe Henry got that job over me did you apply for it? Well, no. <laughs> why didn't you apply for it? Well, I thought they would just come and offer it to me. And why did you think that? Well, they know they should have known that this is what I wanted to do. They have a business to run. They're not in everybody's head. Like, you have to be able to vocalize what it is that you want. And that, I encourage people to not get hung up on the job title. Be able to talk about the kind of work you want to do. Because there's a certain point in your career where it doesn't matter what your job title is and what your annual salary is. It really comes down to, who do I get to work with? That's the juicy part. Who do I get to work with? And who's my leader? Who do I get to be mentored by? Who do I get to look up to every day? That's where the real enticement comes in where you're not given a leader to follow because you have to. You're given a leader to follow because you actually strategically decided this is the next person that I need to learn from who's going to help me continue to grow as a leader myself. So knowing what you want to be known for and being able to vocalize what it is that you want in terms of work, location, the type of projects that you want to work on, the type of people that you want to work with, So it's not about deciding, I want to be a seven-figure entrepreneur. Or if I'm working in an organization, I want to be a double six-figure employee. Mm -hmm. It's not about the money. It's about what could you do within within that opportunity to be able to come in every day, be able to wake up every day and want to go to work. Do you realize how many people in this world wake up every day and hit the snooze button? multiple times and it's all they can do to drag themselves out of bed where they actually give themselves a pep talk in the car on the way to work they put their game face on before they walk in now many people do it and it's your choice it's 
you can have that life or you can have a life that might look really weird to other people where they don't understand the choices you're making but you're the one that has to look at yourself in the mirror every day and you're the one that needs to either jump out of bed and go do what you're going to be doing for the day or drag yourself out of bed it's really up to you Mm-hmm. This just turned into a motivational podcast. It did. Yeah. And it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I think I have one more question. We like to end the podcast with kind of a fun, sure. off the cuff question. And I know you traveled a lot now, I'm, yeah. and you probably still travel a lot. Mm-hmm, I do. Um, so, my question is your favorite airport snack? Hmm. Favorite airport snack? Well, I have to say that I am hooked on, in Starbucks, I'm a big fan of chai tea lattes. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I'm a huge tea fan. So it's definitely a chai tea latte, preferably from Starbucks, if I can find one. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I'm hooked on there are those, they're like a... I'm going to use the term granola bar loosely, (laughs) but it's kind of like that. But Covered way better because yeah. there's big peanuts, <laughs> chocolate. Yeah. yeah, those I definitely travel with a stash of them in my uh, laptop bag because I find when you travel, you're so off your normal schedule. Mm-hmm. And you could be in an Uber car for an hour when you thought it was really going to be 15 minutes on your Google Map. So, you know, having some snacks that you can snag from the airport is definitely gonna get you through yeah no starbucks chai latte i know (laughs) guys you heard it here (laughs) i don't know i might have to i might have to disagree i own a small coffee shop so i I would say that my chai tea latte is better well now i want now i'm a test i want to check out a chai tea latte of yours where do i find your chai tea lattes uh in Lindsay, ontario oh in Lindsay. you know i've never been to Lindsay. it's beautiful little rural town but yeah and what's the name of your coffee shop? It's Boiling Over's Coffee Vault. Oh, it's in an old bank, so it has very cool. vaults, vaults in the in the store. So it's really cool. Very cool. <laughs> so if you're ever in Lindsay, chai yes. tea latte on me. All right, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so that was Shelley Warren. Uh, we really appreciate you coming in and talking to uh, to us on the Smith Cast. Uh, I know the Women in Leadership Club is really excited to have you in here as well to talk to some of us as a, as a group. Um, and we just really, we had, I had a lot of fun. I had a ton <laughs> of fun. I am always honored and thrilled to meet other podcasters. <laughs> I feel like we're venturing into a whole new world. And as a newbie myself on my podcast, I'm always intrigued by other people that see the value in using this platform to connect with people. Yeah, absolutely. We love it. We love doing it. We love sharing yes. it with everyone. Um, yeah, and we've got... We have great guests all the time. So you yes, do have great good. guests. I've listened to every single one of your podcasts. You do have great guests. The the Olympians that you had on just totally blew my mind. I was telling you earlier, I felt so lame. <laughs> no. no, definitely not. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. And uh, if you're ever back at Queens, we'd love to have you on again. Thank you. <laughs>